Welcome to the Week in Sports Cars and the Marshall Pro Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Who's that on the other line? That's Graham Goodwin. He's my pal. He's my co-pilot. He's our resident expert on all things European sporty car and endurance racing. I am the guy with the podcast named after himself. I would never claim to be an expert about anything, but I do happen to cover the American portion of sports car racing on this little cross-Atlantic show that we do each week. So Graham Goodwin, as the official selector of which categories we choose from to start and finish, whether it's IMSA, World Endurance Championship, ACO, ELMS, and so on, general and fun, where are we launching this show this week? Let's have a crack at Weck, Asums, Elms, and Aco. Can I say you're sunny husky yourself today and not a little alluring? Just another fat joke from you. I am so disappointed. <laughs> yeah, uh, got a little bug or something floating around the house. So, uh, yeah, it, it be in my throat, but hey, we'll be okay. So, Weck, Asums, Aco, it is after a uh, it got to be said, I thought a pretty good race at Monza at the weekend. First time that the WC has been there and lots and lots of rumour speculation and no little news for the paddock. Much more to come, by the way, from that uh, this week once I've dealt with the vast pile of admin that sits on my desk at the moment to uh, watch this space on Daily Sports Car and Racer.com for some significant snippets of news that have not so far been reported elsewhere. Well, look at that. Well, then we're going to start with lobbing items your way. It's the question everyone in the sports car universe is curious about. Not really. Uh, We have three fine questionnaires. We have Chris Mock. We have at WEC fan C and also Jose Tapia by Collis. All of them in various ways, <laughs> shapes, and forms. <laughs> Want to know? Is there any remote chance that we could see a Bicolis entry at Lamar this year? Still, uh, happy 109th day of no news about the Bicolis <laughs> car, etc., etc. Again, pins and needles. Who cares about anything else in the world of sports cars? Give us our Colin Collis update and don't say anything to get the two of us killed. Right, so two things to say. Uh, not the first time that, that, in fact, today I've responded to someone, I think someone else on social media, saying any chance we could see this car at Le Mans. If it's not on the entry list and it's not on the reserve list, it's not going to Le Mans. At the moment, we've got the original 62 plus the five that still sit there from the reserve list. Um, if you're not in those 67 cars, you're not going to Le Mans. Second thing to say is I have not heard anything about the bicolis whatsoever now i'm not going to call it dead because that's uh, not having heard it uh, it's because one they have not communicated it and two i've not cared enough to pick up the phone or drop an email to ask uh, but it would be certainly fair to say signs are not good that we're going to see anything from bicolis anytime soon and my guess would be the more we get by way of LMH cars and coming on in 2023, LMDH cars coming along, and more to the point, the inevitability of privateer entries on top of that, to be blunt, the less we'll care. Um, let's. It is a bit of hashtag wait and see to see whether or not Colin and his crazy crew, um, crazy, crazy guys, crazy girls, uh, can uh, come along and bring their fun bus uh, back to the grid but the moment uh, i'm hearing absolutely nothing along those lines what if they've developed stealth technology Ooh. and it's been out and testing it might have Ooh. competed in a couple of races so far we just don't know who knows it might be winning you surely you surely smell it yes what what does what would a bicolis LMH smell like? By the way, Graham, hot. I was thinking more some sort of minty mouthwash uh, as an ode to its uh, dentistry uh, credentialed team owner. Would that is be? it safe? Is it safe? I'll keep asking over and over. Is it safe? Fueled by mouthwash. Now that <laughs> would be. 
right? <laughs> Hydrogen. Who cares? Fueled by mouthwash. Uh, I mean, you have to assume there's a little bit of alcohol in there. Maybe you could light it on fire. I don't know. Okay, we're going to get back on the rails. Well, Daniel Summersgill, yeah. a, a question submitter we've never heard from this minute no, on this I day, love. but who, of whom we love from your fine land of birth. Says we saw all the teams in the LMH class mm-hmm. experience some difficulties during last weekend's Monza WC round with LMP2 taking a place on the overall podium, Graham. Says hashtag me personally, the official hashtag of our show. Can we see an LMP2 overall win being possible at Le Mans, especially if it's hot? And how would that go down with the ACO? Uh, we absolutely could see that as being a possibility. You know, I say every year in a variety of different ways. You've got to beat the race. And certainly in the baking hot conditions of Monza, uh, we had a couple of cars wilted rather. Um, the One of the two totas struggled all the way through with a variety of problems. It was a further problem for the other tota. Uh, Alpine had a relatively straightforward run through. Uh, gearbox failure on one of the Glicky Mouse cars, but the other one led twice, led overall twice. Uh, but they then opted to change the brakes. It was pretty clear they were in braking trouble or rather brake wear problems uh, from, from the very early stages. But here's the thing. It's quick. Uh, they will, I'm sure, go away and take a look at what happened there. Um, there was a degree of wait and see there. I've got an interview coming with Jim Glickenhouse where he responded to that and saying that there is no problem. They'll go away, they'll examine, they'll adapt. Um, but yes, I mean, in, in a world where... You have. Sorry, there are oh. folks, fans outside who are just so happy to <laughs> get in and hear this live. I had to shut it down real quick. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> they, heard, um, they heard your voice. It, this happens every episode. We just keep it quiet it most all. of the time. I get, it all, I get it all the time. All the time. Paparazzi outside the door. Um, in a world where we've got multiple extremely able. Uh, LMP2 teams, including one team that has had cars on the WC podium and on the Le Mans podium in previous years, then yes, if they can have a trouble-free race, stick with the program, be quick and be reliable, then there's every chance that they can be there at the end of that race in a very strong position indeed. The one thing to add here, though, MP, is there's a degree of unknown, less unknown than hypercars, but unknown nonetheless for the LMP2 teams. They're going there with different tyres this year. They're going there with a different um, weight and power setting than they've had previously. So some at least of the data they've had previously from the Le Mans 24 hours won't quite be right. They'll have to adapt to that. Uh, but I think we've got a bit of an old-fashioned the morning prospects, it looks to me as if we can have multiple cars that might very well um, have issues throughout that race. The other thing about those issues is some of them were quite sudden. Uh, it wasn't he's nursing a problem, he's nursing a problem, now he's gone. It was, no, the car's stopped on track, need to recycle for power, punctures uh, in the garage, team working on a variety of issues. It was a pretty old-fashioned sort of race and all the better for it. So, yes, I think we're back into an, uh, an age where you cannot, cannot put Totokazu Racing nailed in for the top two places that I'm on this year. It's going to be a good one. Let's see. Andrew Miller, similar question on could we have a P2 win overall. <clears throat> Why don't we go with Ricky Zagato while we're on the topic of Toyota? says, how worried is Toyota going into the good old 24-ers of Le Mans. This is after multiple brake problems and uh, module resets. They look to have a lot of work ahead of them. So Le Mans, 24 hours, durability testing, uh, beyond what we've seen in race situations so far uh, with the cars this year, Graham. Are you aware of how many true endurance tests they might have done to have some semblance of comfort with the big They've race? Yeah, they've done at least one and possibly two. The problem is you can't really replicate the racing, can you? And you certainly can't replicate the unknown factor, which is the weather. It was very hot at Monza, talking mid-30s of degrees throughout the weekend. Um, So that could have a whole range of kind of issues that could actually hit um, hit the uh, – clearly pretty uh, very new cars. How hot? I mean, to give you, for instance – uh, the 
the guy that uh, showed my car on the way home to the UK, uh, photographer Andy Lofthouse, um, was telling me he put one of his cameras down while shooting out at Ascari, uh, went back to it after two or three minutes, could not pick the camera back up uh, because it was so hot. Uh, that's just from kind of radiation of the sun, if you like. So imagine what that's doing to, got to be said, some fairly edgy systems on board some of those cars. There's, there's a lot of unknowns uh, attached to some of these cars this season. This is not all the proven LMP1 technology. This is a brand new package, and they're beginning to find uh, where the vulnerabilities are. Will they be able to shift another test in before Le Mans? We'll have a chat with them in the next few days and find out what they're doing. They do have a huge array of systems back at Toyota and Cologne that can help them to understand what some of the issues were. Uh, you know, do not underestimate the level of um, resource and equipment Toyota Kazoo Racing have at their disposal. But uh, they'll come out all guns blazing and looking for yet another win at the big one. Talk about a company that will be ruining their decision to make their uh, GR010 out of camera bodies. So, yeah, if it gets <laughs> hot, oof, boy, that sucker's going to shut down. Uh, let's see. Dennis Prokniak, when was the last time planned brake changes were routine for prototypes at Le Mans with heavier top-class cars this year? Do you expect that to be the case in 2022? Well, it's certainly that you've hit the nail on the head there, Dennis, with the weights. That certainly, I think, caught out Toyota a couple of times this season. I think it caught out uh, Glickenhaus as well. As for when the last time was for prototypes, I have to go back and have a look at that. It's a very, very good question. Is there an easy fix for Glickenhaus and for Toyota? We'll keep in touch with them and, and keep that news coming your way as we get closer to Le Mans the towards the middle and end of next next month but it's another variable isn't it? it took them eight minutes and 20 seconds to fix the brakes on that car they were not expected to do it they will now drill that change i've no doubt whatsoever and my guess is they can probably get that down to about half that time or put another way about a lap of le mans um so it's a significant disadvantage if that's something they have to do they did it after four hours uh, at monza and le mans as you're well aware it's six times as long so i think everybody's going to be looking very carefully at one the state of the, the bodywork the bodywork on the side of those cars to see whether or not we are getting heavy brake wear number two when we get into the fourth fifth sixth hour at le mans um, a not dissimilar sort of layout to a circuit, uh, Monza. High speed, high braking, uh, you know, heavy braking zones uh, to see whether or not we might see more dramas for them there. Uh, I'll wait to see whether or not we've got anything on Glickenhaus, though, but plenty more to say about uh, that effort. Um, and certainly anybody who was thinking that car's not going to be as quick as an LMP2 uh, might want to open up that carefully parceled, very large black domestic bird and eat that crow because it most certainly is a quick to appeal. Ooh. We, uh, we backed into an obscure crow reference. I love it. <laughs> All right, Graham, let's see. Let's pick a few more here for you. Why don't we go to uh, Dennis Ackerman? Been a while since we've had a mm. Dennis Ackerman Real question. Dennis. Says, if I won the Powerball lottery, paying an insane amount of money, would the FIA allow me to run a revised... Ford GT is my hypercar entry. I guess I, I should query a little bit. Revised how? Livery? Uh, you're going to put a 1980s Buick V6 Turbo in it? I don't know what <laughs> revised means, but what do you think? Is the Ford uh, GT so where, strange? They might, but you'd have to pay them a lot of money. I know where this comes from. Uh, this comes from a another podcast host. Uh, relaying a conversation they'd had uh, with somebody in motorsport some time ago, apparently, that said that they could get down to a 330 with an unrestricted GTE car. And uh, the internet decided this was either going to be a Corvette or it was going to be a, a Ford GT. The answer is, as long as your car meets the regulations, and that means it meets the aerodynamic uh, balance that needs to be uh, done, it meets the weight, it meets the power, 
uh, you can enter what you like, I think, is the is the reality. Do I think there is any realistic prospect of a de-restricted GTE car making its way into hypercar? I'd say that would be somewhat less than zero. Um, I th- would think that the conversation we're talking about here is less to do with um, an actual idea of a program, more to do with the notion. The other thing I'd say, too, is there's a big difference between being able to make a lap time of 330 and being able to sustain that for 24 hours. That's an altogether very different challenge. Do I think it could be done with a GTE base? It's distinctly possible. The the level of reliability and performance we're getting from modern race cars would indicate that. Do I believe there is anybody out there genuinely seriously considering doing it? Not in the slightest. Buddy Campbell wants you to atone for something, Graham. All right, not you, but we'll, we'll play that a little bit. Yes. Says, Why does the WEC only use car numbers in the TV graphics? They're showing a battle. They may show more info, but in pretty much any series but NASCAR, the numbers are not as commercialized. Says it's hard watching a race and having to remember, look up who's who in what cars, especially in P2 and GTE AM. I've often wondered I, this as well. I know you're not the person behind it, but maybe you have yeah, some yeah. insights. And also, hey, uh, spotterguys.com, Andy Blackmore. Uh, he's usually yeah. going to keep you up to date on what's happening and where, so you do know if you have to use a reference to know who's and what and where. Okay. Uh, I, I will be blunt and being surprised by the level of uh, response that this particular issue has got amongst a variety of people are clearly pretty close fans of the series. Um, I am very happy to feed back uh, to the team that looks after the kind of graphical content. And I would tend to agree that anything that is out there as part of our commercial, so our public facing offer that assumes knowledge is generally speaking a bad thing. I guess the answer I would give here is tell me what it is you do want. Do you want the driver? Do you want the car? Do you want the team name? What do you want on those graphics? Because what I wouldn't wish to happen is to go back and genuinely feedback on uh, the fan base's behalf, which I have done multiple times, only to find the chosen uh, change that is made is not the one that people want. So um, I go back to, uh, it was this buddy, uh, and anybody else that's listening that says this is an issue that is worthy of consideration, fine, no problem. Um, Chuck yourself out a little bit of a poll, whether or not you do that with a public-facing way or you do that in a private way amongst the people of similar interests to your good selves, and let me know what it is that people want in, presumably it's this tower down the left-hand side there. Uh, We do see that uh, in the booth. We do get a um, uh, a uh, monitor with what you are seeing uh, shown on it so we can see what's being offered out there. That's why we're commenting on the pictures in real time. Um, but I think, you, you know, what I would say from my point of view, it's not something I tend to notice. That's generally because my desk at WC has got several other screens on it, including a strategy laptop, including my own laptop, including another uh, TV feed, which is the feed that you're not seeing, which is the preview feed. Um, plus timing screens, etc. So, of course, I've got all that information in front of me. My bad. That's not something I'd considered was a major issue. If you tell me it is, let me know what the, uh, the not just what the problem is, but what the solution should be, because that might be helpful to those that can make those decisions. Would add to, <clears throat> excuse me again. Hi, Rosie. I would add to uh, to Buddy's note, just on the topic here, specifically of relying on car numbers primarily, not an issue, I would say, in F1, IndyCar, NASCAR, where it's a single driver formula. But since we do have multiple drivers in sports car competition and in endurance racing, there are times for sure. I've had the same thought as Buddy of, I love the fact that so-and-so, the car number whatever is in third who's in it that's going to help inform me as to how they might fare against the driver ahead or behind or otherwise so we know that in formula one they use three letter designation of some sort of 
decision on how to tell you the driver's last name, adding something like that, knowing yep. that driver changes do happen and in the pro classes, maybe not so much of a concern. We know they're all very good, but in some instances, for sure, knowing if an AM is truly in a GTE AM at the moment and the pro is wherever else, you know, nearby, it certainly at least help you understand what might be changing. So it is. All righty, Graham. Well, the other things that comes into this is that, you know, you will get a mixed view. Some people want team car driver. Um, one thing I'm personally not a massive fan on of is those graphics that kind of scroll through a variety of different um, uh, data sources like that. So you're, you're seeing it's an Orica 07, it's got Will Stevens in it, it's from Panis Racing, and you're seeing that in real time over a period of four or five seconds. I personally find that quite distracting. You've used personally um, twice. You're, yeah, you're violating so our cardinal sin I'll here. I'll just write, write down that. I That's personally. I done bad. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm going to put two hashtag me personally <laughs> stickers on you over your mouth. Okay. Done. Done. Okay. But I'll happily feedback. Give us a bit of feedback on what you'd like to see um, and, if you like, how you'd like to see it. But what I'm hearing in general, is people generally like the kind of revised graphics package that was brought in last year. If it needs a tweak, yeah, we can feed back and we'll see whether or not the, the team decide that that's something they agree with or not. All righty. Where else do we want to go with the remaining questions? I like Right Turn Lovers asking, is the Peugeot already at peak radical looks for hypercar? Or could you imagine another manufacturer going farther to the extreme well i mean what i think's great here is that they have come out the box and rattled uh, everybody that it does look very radical it does give doesn't it the other manufacturers coming forward the opportunity to think there's a real opportunity for positivity here if we do something something with color with the uh, styling of the car the cockpit as we said last week uh, mp that they've done all sorts of things that have got them a lot of very positive attention before that car's ever turned a wheel. Manufacturers tend to notice those things when they're investing. So I would hope what we'll see is a degree more radical. Um, I hope we see that Ferrari do something that's not too generic. Uh, they've got that opportunity to do um, something a little bit different with the LMH. Less opportunity with the LMDH manufacturers but there i hope what we're going to see is something that just isn't a mildly restyled generic prototype but actually does uh, have real design language from the uh, the organizations that are bringing to the, to the racetrack i hope we're going to see more okay there are still things out there um that have not yet been reported or rumored whether or not those things come to fruition remains to be seen but there are a lot of people talking to a lot of other people about there may be the possibility the opportunity that is now being presented by this this amazing true convergence across the wc and the imsa weather tech sports car championship you've mentioned or you've used the word radical a few times are you hinting <laughs> at a srp 23 or something that's in the pipeline should we should we tease that as a new prototype on the way? I think the, the answer is, uh, I, I think right now, think of any kind of um, manufacturer name out there. Someone is presenting something to them that could have them within one or other or even a third uh, different rule set that's kind of coming forward. The inevitability is the vast majority of those beyond the ones we already know won't happen. But I think that one or two might. And I think what we're looking at MP right now, that and it becomes more and more obvious when you start getting into not just the Peugeot, but the Stellantis thing with the, you know, the possibility, I'd almost say probability um, that a, a second brand on that spine is under serious commercial consideration by this massive organization. You're getting into so many different brand names that it's impossible to ignore that in terms of evaluating where you might want to spend your marketing dollar. It would be difficult to 
overstate the opportunity that sits here for sports car racing in the next half a decade and more. It would be difficult to overstate that. I genuinely think that if you put together the Imsworth Sports Car Championship and the FI World Endurance Championship as effectively one overarching global product, I cannot see anything on four wheels that should outscore that in terms of return on investment for manufacturers this side of Formula One. And if it doesn't, then I think the people responsible for promoting those products uh, need to have a good hard look at themselves because the opportunity is absolutely enormous. And I'm genuinely excited by it in a way that I've not been excited by the commercial prospects for sports car racing for most of the time that I've been employed doing this. Okay, we're going to steer you towards Callum Eilat. Mm. Mitsuki Matsura. It's a great question. Hi, MP and Graham. Callum is going to make his Le Mans debut with Iron Links in August. Considering that he's part of the Ferrari Driver Academy, do you think he would be uh, the ace of Ferrari's Le Mans hypercar program in 2023? Can throw in here quickly. Runner-up last season in Formula 2. Current Alfa Romeo F1 reserve driver in Scuderia Ferrari Formula 1 test driver. Uh, a young Briton who certainly wants to be in Formula 1. I can tell you that. Uh, without a shadow of a doubt. I think the answer here is everybody's keeping all their options open. I'm sure Callum would like to be under more serious consideration for uh, F1. There are a lot of other people that will want to be in a factory Ferrari, not least, of course, the current GTE um, crop. And if you look at the kind of the genesis of their careers, including someone like James Collado, who again finished well up in, I think it was GP2 when, when James was there. So, you know, potentially extremely quick indeed in a downforce car. Um, I think the answer is pretty clearly Ferrari have a plan in mind for Callum. Um, as long as we're not talking about a man of his supreme talents being a lost generation, I don't think we are going to be. I'd be pretty happy to see wherever he ends up, whether or not he ends up in Formula One, whether or not he ends up in their hypercar. My guess, if we want to play a guessing game, is that we will see some known names in those cars for the full season. And I would not be remotely surprised if we saw some Ferrari F1 drivers in those cars for the Le Mans 24 hours. I hope we do, because I think that would be even more enormous than the fact that Ferrari are going to be there in the first place uh, with a factory team, run by, of course, a bit of factory team. So there's all sorts of things to be excited about. The fact that uh, Ferrari um, and Iron Links and Prima Power team and all of that goodness coming together for a great big melting pot of, you know, of possibilities and opportunities it can only be a good thing for the way things are actually heading uh, in the future. Have Ferrari got their eye on them? 100% they do. What that young man needs to do is to keep pumping in really good performances, both in his testing opportunities, his sim opportunities, and in the racing that they're putting him aboard uh, GT cars for the time being. Um, my guess is he is very much on a Ferrari shortlist for the LMH car, unless and until an F1 possibility comes up. Should also mention uh, Callum has an interest in racing in America. And yep. I will be putting that into a story I hope to have finished uh, not too far after this podcast goes up. Great kid. He's a great kid, isn't he? He's marvelous. He smells like candy canes <laughs> as well. Yet another reason to hire him. Uh, why don't I go to Gustavo Bamba? How you doing, Gustavo? Ooh. Says, how big of an impact uh, is the result? of the Scuderia, Cameron, Glickenhaus, 007, and Monza. How might that result result in new customers wanting to play in the program? says, with a decent result in Le Mans, uh, maybe an easier LMH to drive than some others. Could we see some more interest in the project? Maybe from amateurs and wealthy and healthy drivers across the board. So any thoughts as to whether Jim's order book has filled up in the last couple of days? I doubt it has, is a straight answer. They've got some questions to ask themselves as well after Monza. The first thing we can say is it's quick. It's quick enough. It was a realistic competitor on pace, 
which is what you'd expect with a BOP uh, class. So that was good in full dry conditions, remember. That's the other thing we need to make clear. Um, talked to Jim after the race, and he was talking about – I've been talking to Jim uh, over the last couple of weeks about a variety of possibilities and opportunities. Um, but he was talking about uh, initially the run – forward to get more commercial backing for the project which might then see him with more opportunities to put the cars uh, out into competition so all sorts of opportunities do i think they might sell a car they might very well sell a car i hope he does i think it's great to have a challenger brand uh, in that class i want to see those challenger brands valued by the powers that be on both sides of the Atlantic. I believe that there's every possibility that that will happen. I'm sure we'll get to some questions about some statements allegedly made that I don't actually think were made to do with Clickenhouse in uh, potential FRIMSA programs. Um, I think the answer there is we just have to see what else is actually out there as to how important that program might be to the FIWEC and to the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. In the same kind of vein as how important the panels program was um, in terms of driving the enthusiasm of the audience and in particular the trackside audience, we love to see the little team that could. And we've not had a lot of that in recent years. It's probably why people are so attracted to the otherwise, um, frankly, um, unacceptably poor uh, by college programs of the last few years. Uh, the fact of the matter was they were the only other game in town beyond um, the huge privateer effort that was uh, rebelling with Orica and the full factory program that was Toyota. So, you know, this ain't that. This is they put together a good team. They put together what apparently is a car with pace. What they have to do now is debug that. And we're going to see whether or not they can be successful in that. In as I look at my world planner in front of me, about four weeks there we go. Any other WEC, Aslums, Elms, ACO, whatever items pique your interest um, to answer? I'm going to just add something on control restrictions impact the 2022 Asia Le Mans series. Damien Peachman is asking how likely is a repeat of 2021 uh, uh, Asia Le Mans series in 22, given the East Asia and Australian travel restrictions. I think you could bet pretty heavily that there is a risk of a strategy that might be coming forward and i don't think you're gonna have to wait very long to find the answer is the straight answer do i know uh, conclusively what the answer is i don't i'm very good at guessing um that the fact that we cannot get people in or out without hotel quarantine of a number of marketplaces where the asian monsters has been in recent years and there doesn't appear to be an immediate assurance that that's going to be possible uh, i think answers its own question my view is get get racing don't don't be one of those series that clings to the plan and sees things wither on the vine. Um, I'm looking at you, uh, World Challenge Asia, uh, that didn't race last year, and there's no apparent plan yet announced for it racing this year. Uh, so I, I would suggest that the most sensible thing to do is go with the impetus and the uh, momentum that you've actually got with your programme, there will be those that you would like to be there that can't be. That's That's been the case all the way through. Um, but if you're racing, you've got profile. You can build up all that commercial return on investment, keep partners happy, keep teams happy, keep whatever drivers you can get to those races happy, uh, and not wait for public health and, more to the point, public health policy uh, to catch up with your aspirations. That, at the moment, seems to be a bit of a fool's errand. So my view would be, Get yourself a contingency plan that is is you know, significantly more likely to bear fruit than trying to stick to the old plan and hoping things are going to change. There we go. What else have we got? What else have we got? Daniel, Daniel SEM 2004. Now we've seen the new Peugeot. When do you think the other manufacturers will take the covers off their challenges? I wouldn't be remotely surprised if we started to see some concepts and that, that might start. You'd think, wouldn't you, the Le Mans 24 Hours would be a great place for people to start to show us some of those. We know because Marshall's written it uh, on racer.com that uh, Porsche intend to be out testing a version of their LMDH by the end of this year, Marshall. Remind me. 
Yeah, they're hoping in or around Christmas for those who celebrate Christmas. Uh, yep. That would be somewhere around the end of December. Yeah, so I, I would suggest to you that there might well be some Porsche uh, activity there. I wouldn't have thought that Audi would be terribly far behind them. Um, there's all sorts of things in play here. So I think the answer is you're going to get a bit of a drip drip here. You might well get you know a number of little goodies coming out um, during the round robin of uh, PR activity uh, at the end of August with, uh, with the Le Mans 24 hours. Let's have a look at else. Top speeds expected for hypercars at Le Mans, says Damien Peachman. We had, I think, peak speed at Monza was about 318 kilometers an hour from the Glickenhaus, something like that. Maybe a little quicker when we get to Le Mans um, next month. But um, yeah, I think that's enough for that, don't you? It's oh, entirely sorry. up to you. Sorry, one more. Richie at uh, Richie 16. Is the commentary on the WC app a permanent thing now that will be available to Le Mans as an alternative to Eurosport's effort? This is Richie's referring to the free um, live audio. An alternative link. to Eurosport? Yeah. What kind of blasphemy? I, uh, Who would not? So, Who would try so and find an alternate to Eurosport? <laughs> what is wrong with you, man? <laughs> so the answer here is this is WC. Uh, initiative at the moment uh, I think there's every possibility we might see that roll out onto other LMEM platforms um, the answer on the WC races is my understanding is it is a permanent thing Le Mans is different the rights contracts the broadcasting contracts are different can't tell you who we're going to have broadcasting at Le Mans uh, this year uh, that's not in my gift I will sort of tell you that I'm very happy that I'm going to be back uh, for this year, but I don't know what they will do. There's a difference between having rights to audio and having exclusive rights to audio. I believe the exclusive rights to audio for them on 24 hours sit with Radio Show Limited. Um, it, uh, if that's not the case, and I'm wrong, I'll apologise immediately. Uh, but the uh, for the WEC, there are rights holders, but there are no exclusive rights holders, which means the WEC can put out. Uh, their feed and they do and I believe that's beginning to pick up uh, quite the audience uh, available through the app and through the website you'll see it on the live page uh, the little radio um, what do you call it um, I don't know what you call it little graphic at the top of the screen click that and you'll get the silky smooth sounds of Martin Haven Alan McNish and yes me you lucky lucky people uh, plus Lou Beckett and uh, Duncan Vincent in the pits. So that is now going to be something that is going to be available live, um, you know, for your mobile device as well, uh, wherever you are around the world. So you will get exclusively uh, live, free, and actually at the track, uh, that's audio content from directly from the FIWEC. And there we go. And speaking of go, where are we going next, Graham Goodwood? Should we go to the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship? The IMSA section, I think, is next up. I and we can. Don't know much about yeah. it. More of a grand am guy. But uh, if you feel like we need to, I guess we can, you know, try something a little different on the show. Okay, let's try start with Ryan Terpstra. Uh, Ryan says, hypothetical question: Do LMH manufacturers just doing Daytona or Florida thirty six need to pay the Hashtag $1 million marketing agreement or whatever you want to call the IMSA requirements. Uh, there's, a, there's a sliding scale, is there not, MP? I don't know. And I say that because I don't know. And why <laughs> tell folks or bluff th- through things if you don't? If we go off of what is happening at the moment and has happened in recent years, IMSA has demonstrated a willingness to work with boutique-ish manufacturers who might not be sitting on the same financial arsenal as a giant international automotive conglomerate or otherwise. But we can't bring that into what might be happening here starting in 2023 with prototypes because we simply don't know. And so just want to overstate a little bit of the obvious. Most of the manufacturer agreements that have come up 
on this subject of, hey, it's a, it's an Aston Martin, for example, and, you know, there's going to be one running in GTD. Should they be responsible for paying as much as, name a, a larger manufacturer who's playing in the class? I don't know what IMSA has ultimately decided in terms of how much a smaller manufacturer pays, but most of the conversation has been GT-related. Bit of a conversation on the Nissan side when they were in DPI, but not really as a manufacturer. That was something we know uh, teams took care of instead of the manufacturer itself. But don't know how this is going to get handled since for the first time, Graham, we're going to have, this is a a formal uh, standard of measurement, we're going to have a buttload of manufacturers (laughs) coming into prototypes in IMSA. Uh, some who are already here, some that will be returning, some that are new, yada, yada, yada. But we're going to have a very healthy number across the full-time LMDH, the IMSA native cars, or models, I should say, and also the uh, the WEC native LMHs. So what we don't know is how they're going to reconcile this. And why? Well, noting that IMSA has had this marketing expenditure requirement, noting that financially IMSA, I guess like the WEC and most major sports car championships does rely fairly heavily on the pocketbooks of their manufacturers. We fully expect this to continue, but we don't have any insight yet as to how this would go down when it comes to visiting marks like a Peugeot, like a, a Toyota and so on. Now, granted, could there be again this is these are all questions that I don't think have been defined, and that is well, hey, Lexus participates in IMSA, Lexus, the sub brand of Toyota, does Lexus size money? Does that cover whatever participation from the uh the Toyota WEC factory coming over with their LMH? Don't know is there something extra? Don't know um how might an IMSA treat? As Ryan laid out, what if they're only planning on doing a couple of races compared to a full season? Is there a per race fee? Closing this, and this is the part where it just adds another layer of complexity, Graham, but that's sports cars. That's part of what we love it, question mark. So, hey, we are going to have some of these IMSA machines going over to compete in WEC, 24 Hours of Le Mans, whatever it might be. How do you handle that in terms of financial commitments there as well? Beyond a entry fee, I think it'd be safe in assuming that if there's a LMDH from a manufacturer that really, truly is just wanting to focus on IMSA, maybe doing a one-off at Le Mans, maybe a one-off somewhere else, but really not a, a significant WEC presence, will there be some sort of converged financial agreement, Graham, between IMSA and the WC and how they treat these things, there would be problems if one sanctioning body really gouged a manufacturer to come and visit and play in their series uh, and the other did not. Then you lead that leads to a lot of acrimony and ultimately that gets elevated to the heads of business uh, across the organizations where they fight and say, hey, wait a minute. We're charging your brand, your LMDH manufacturer name. We're charging them one dollar, and you're trying to ask uh, our full-time entrants who are going to play with you a little bit five dollars to do that. That's a big discrepancy. So that's the thing I, I look forward to learning about. I can guarantee you none of these none of these things have been mapped out. Um, I know it's a bit of a touchy subject too, of the financial side getting money off manufacturers, which all the organizations here involved need. How do you do that and do that in a way that doesn't piss anyone off? Uh, There's a little bit of room for interestingness here, Graham, that we have not yet had figured out. Yeah, I think there's a lot of unknowns, aren't there? I've read a couple of stories out there that have suggested, oh, well, they're going to insist on the manufacturer fees, therefore Glick and Haas can't go to IMSA. That's bullshit, you know, is the straight and honest answer. The reality is there is no defined scale of, of manufacturer fees yet for a full or um, 
uh, a partial program. We don't yet know what else is going to come out of this convergence mix. And there's lots of other opportunities that sit there. And I'm not going to outline them right now, but lots of other opportunities that have likely been discussed, but certainly haven't been shared publicly. There are, you know, the other thing is you've also got to look, haven't you, at what getting some of those brands into those biggest races might do in terms of attracting people through the gates or indeed TV audiences. Um, you know, there's all sorts of uh, if, buts and maybes that might, might actually be uh, to the race organizers' advantage to just doing some form of deal that makes the difference uh, between seeing those cars uh, on an entry list or not. And, you know, is there going to have to be some deal done? Yeah, 100%. Does that mean necessarily that um, you, the clicking house will need to pay $1 million? No, it doesn't. It fundamentally doesn't. And neither, as far as I can see, is anybody saying that that's absolutely the case. Let's move on. A couple of questions here about Dragon Speed DPI, Mark Whiteleg um, and Sam uh, Anadiotis. Uh, talk about uh, one person says read somewhere someone says a certain clickbait site can't imagine who that might be reported dragon speed uh, might run a, a Mazda RT24P uh, I don't think it does say that I think they said they might be interested in the final season of DPI um, could uh, Mazda carry on for at least one year, more year Sam says Dragon Speed wanted to run DPI next season for a bridge drill MDH uh, program in 23. Potential discussions with Mazda. No options, apparently, with Acura or Cadillac. Is it feasible for them to run the Ligier Nissan DPI with zero factory support? Um, what do we know? DPI looks like it's set for a slightly fallow season next, next season, uh, MP. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a wee bit sad before things get awesome. Um, so... Spoken with Mazda multiple times this year on the subject of you're going away. Any chance privateer taking a car over a semi works thing, uh, meaning a privateer hires y'all to run it for them. Is there, give me some hope. The, uh, beautiful, glorious RT 24 P's are not going to 100% go into storage at the end of the year and was given a resolute not happening not happening at all there have been more than one i shouldn't say that i know of one i i think i recall a second i I can say for sure there's been one steadfast attempt to go back to the decision makers high atop mazda uh, within the from the motorsport side to say any chance we could do another year or, you know, just what do you come on maybe? And nope, not happening. So to my pretty clear knowledge on the Mazda side, whether it's a dragon speed or any other team, those cars will be turned off for the final time uh, at the end of the season and will not be competing in any capacity uh, going forward. So that's that. As for other brands, other cars, Acura has been very straightforward in saying no desire in customer cars, so that's not open. Uh, The only other real option here that makes any sense would be to get hold of an existing Cadillac, a complete Cadillac. We know, for example, that the uh, JDC Miller Motorsports team runs two on occasion, They have more than one in their arsenal. Could something happen if they were to sell or lease or something? A complete ready-to-run Cadillac DPI VR to a Dragon Speed? Uh, That would seem to be the easiest route to make things happen. As for the Ligier Nissan DPI, a question from Sam. One thing we can say for sure about the uh, eccentrifically delightful Elton Julian, uh, owner of Dragon Speed. He is not a person interested in showing up to any motor race with something that is inferior and that limits their chance to succeed. He's very much a effort and results guy. If we're going to put in a lot of work to try and excel, well, why would we do that going in with something we know 
has no chance of being successful. So I would say calls to teams with turnkey ready-to-go Cadillacs would be the number one route to get in. Um, If there are any manufacturers that are truly interested in running with Dragon Speed, I don't think that's too far of a crazy concept, right? We know among the privateers, Graham, they've been a heck of a challenger brand. Uh, They've done exceedingly well in LMP1. We've seen their surprising capabilities coming into IndyCar, qualifying for the Indy 500 a couple times, doing one or two other races as well, punching well above their weight. So I would say it is not impossible, but I would say their access to a quality and competitive DPI probably rests with another team's willingness to let one go. Interesting, isn't it? It's, um, again, it's it's that pathway to 2023, which is I, I, it's looking rocky in a number of ways. It's looking difficult in a number of ways. That's before we get talking about uh, GT classes. A couple of questions here, one from Kevin Kent, the other one from John Day, on the subject of Dodge uh, Kevin says, does the potential of a Dodge entrant do anything to attract Ford back to the top class in IMSA? And John says, hope everything's well, he says, with Dodge being the favourite American brand to run a version of the Peugeot hypercar in IMSA, could you see them using the Hellcat engine for the muscle cars for publicity, or would they go with the same engine that the Peugeot uses? Kev, just to open, I would say that although it's a fun way to think of things, the idea of an Edsel Ford the second or a whomever at Ford at the Blue Oval seeing someone else is going into a racing series and them going, Aha! Uh go pull fifty million dollars out of the bank. We're going to commission our own thing and go compete against them. That doesn't really happen. So yeah, love the concept of having the the big three American brands all trying to beat each other up in LMDH or LMH, whatever they might choose, uh, in IMSA. But no, Ford doing something will not make uh, Dodge do something. Dodge doing something will not make Ford, etc. So nothing there, unfortunately. Uh, as for John's question, now that would be amazing, right? The, the Hellcat <laughs> Scat Pack coming to the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. The the driver for all of this, as I understand, Graham, and I believe you understand as well, is mm-hmm. not from the American side. From your no. your story and conversation with the, the Stellantis folks, everything that I have heard, all the information that I have had has all come out of Europe. That's spelled Y-U-R-R-U-P, by the way, Europe. Uh, everything that I know about this is not American-based. It's all coming out of Europe, and that is uh, Stellantis looking at, well, hey, we do have this thing we're doing, and it's pretty cool. Where could we apply this blueprint elsewhere in the world where we sell cars, and it would be relevant? And so naturally, taking a Peugeot hypercar and changing some stickers around (laughs) And uh, you know, doing a little bit of a rebranding exercise on the exact Peugeot as it is built, as it is homologated and running in the WEC is exactly what they would do for an American market or any other market. So yep. love the Hellcat idea. I would hope they would, not, if this happens, not saying it will, by the way. No, I've never said that this is going to happen. Just said I, I know for a fact uh, that this has been a serious con- you know, conversation about doing it. Um, I really hope they don't apply, Graham, any Hellcat logos to the car because that would be some false advertising. All we know of <laughs> when we think of Hellcat, we think of a V8, about a 1,000 horsepower, and tires exploding after having every shred of rubber peeled from the carcass. So, oh, it's a practical family car then. Yeah. Hell Kitty. Now that might be a little closer. Hell Kitty. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. Uh, where else should we go here, my friend? I've got about 10 minutes left before I have okay. to uh, dive off for another interview. 
Let's uh, have one or two more from him, and then we'll dive into uh, a couple of generals to finish. Um, IMSA, Indianapolis. Uh, Carl Lisk asking if they go back, how long would a race be? And um, what do we think? What what do we think Roger's idea is here? Mention first, Kyle, thanks for ordering some stickers, by the way, from our Marshall Pruitt podcast merchandise page. That was uh, just put that in the mail yesterday. So good timing on uh, submitting a question. We'll also mention on this topic, Graham was busy late last night, adding some new stickers to the uh the mp podcast merchandise Ooh. page large format stickers uh the kind that i love the most so i'm staring at right now uh just added 1994 debut season ferrari 333 sps Ooh. uh what else did i add uh 1989 audi 90 imsa gto i think those are four inches by eight inches like these are big stickers uh, Corvette uh-huh. Racing GT1 C6R from 2008. Um, what else? And I added, and this is the biggest one of all, uh, it's 11 and a half inches wide by 5 inches tall. Um, Miller Porsche 962, the 1989 uh-huh. uh, 24 Hours of Daytona winner, that beautiful gold 962 driven by Bob Wallach, John Andretti, and Derek Bell. So just added all those to our large oh, format. Oh, oh, who, by the way, has just been announced as the grandma yes. of Le Mans 24 hours. It'll be nice for Derek to see the track for the first time. I know he yep. doesn't have much history there, but it's kind no. of a, a nice nod to uh, an old <laughs> codger. Uh, let's see. It'd be weird, Kyle, for IndyCar. IndyCar. IndyCar's team owner, IMS, circuit owner, Roger Penske, and IMSA, if they were to do a deal to have IMSA to come to IMS, for it to be a standard-length race knowing that it is obviously regarded as possibly the most special motor racing circuit in North America, the idea of IMSA coming there, we would think maybe on a timeline as well that fits uh, Roger Penske, the uh, Porsche Penske Motorsports LMDH program, sparking to life as well. I would just say that while I don't have a number, I would say that a standard two-hour and 40-minute race would feel woefully insufficient for the site where the event is being held so i would say on that alone we're going to indy let's promote this let's make this a big thing it's been a while since we've had endurance racing there if it's not a minimum four but if it's not a six hour race uh or longer eight hours i don't know what the number is but something that would maybe transition into darkness or close to darkness dusk i don't know some i don't know if we're talking fully going into dark but regardless something that is long and befitting of feeling special i would have to believe kyle that is where the conversation would start and end because if they're going to show up and do the hundred minutes of indianapolis i don't think anyone would give a fart about that so much so um like not all things in life, but many things in life, the longer the better. Uh, what do we do, <laughs> Graham, to wind down our show here in the next eight minutes? Let's have a quick look at some of the general and fun stuff. This one's been around for a little wee while, so we're going to have a crack at it. Ricky Zagata said, did Trans Am miss the boat not adopting GT3 regulations? Uh, Seen World Challenge figured it out and got a larger not a large market share. Hashtag me personally, says Ricky. Transam could be so much more if they did and stepped away from the Prep 2 chassis. I'm going to just step aside from this one and let you go for it. I would say a super quadruple extra no. Uh, did Transam, which has always been a completely unique formula, miss the boat by not abandoning its unique formula? and becoming like seemingly every other sports car series in the world by using the same GT3 formula. I would say absolutely not. Everything in my body rails against the concept of let's take all the the few remaining things, Graham, that are unique in sports cars and just kill those. V V to V. Well, let's get rid of that and just make everything LMP3. Why allow differences? Why, like, 
And so this isn't so much going back at you, Ricky. It's just a case of, man, I, I know that spec and homologated has become so much of the way of the world in motor racing over the last 20 to 30 years. Totally get that. Why would we stamp out these beautiful little things that stand out uh, in places where that mindset hasn't uh, killed innovation and creativity and, and whatnot? Even within Trans Am, there's some uniformity going on that I'm not super fond of, but nonetheless, had Trans Am converted to GT3, knowing that in IMSA, we've had GT3 for a while now. In World Challenge, we've had GT3 for a while now. Um, Trans Am becoming the third American sports car series to use the same formula. Uh, I'd say it would have died within two years tops if that's the direction uh, they would have gone. So believe it or not, Trans Am, while not thriving in terms of public awareness and a big TV contract bringing it to the world, by the numbers, it's growing and growing and growing, and it remains one of those best-kept secrets, but it's going places. I don't know how it gets to a bigger place in our collective motor racing consciousness in North America, Graham, but I do know that if they keep on the path they're going, it seems like they're only going to continue to grow and improve, which then gives you the option for it to potentially be something that is uh, uh, even more unique and even more beloved. So said this before on the show, feels like it's maybe been a year or two, but with IMSA and IndyCar currently sharing two events per season, Long Beach Grand Prix, the uh, Detroit uh, Grand Prix as well. There's certainly some open options for IndyCar and Trans Am. And Trans Am does appear on a couple of IndyCar uh, dates, but there would seem to be a, a fairly open thing if IndyCar wanted to make sure that they had a uh, a big banger sports car product to offer at more of their races that Trans Am could be a, a pretty awesome option for them to do that. Uh, they're really popular wherever they go. And for those that know about Trans Am and follow it, uh, those are some really passionate people, even the drivers. That's the last little quick thing I'll mention here. It's not as if folks don't love their sports car racing, Graham. Those inside the cars tend to enjoy what they're driving for the most part. When the drivers get out of Trans Am cars, you really do hear a lot of evangelism taking place. So, those are some of the happier sports car drivers I'm aware of as well. So there's a good thing here. Don't kill it by adopting some general yeah. format that's used everywhere else. No problem. Okay, I'm going to answer one. this one from Robin Crickman. Recent floods in Europe are said to have caused more to some damage at Spa. How bad is it? Will it affect the 24-hour race significantly? Uh, Robin says he's read that some race team members are affected by the floods, but have any whole t- race team has been impacted? Um I don't know what you've seen uh, over in the States, but uh, in uh, parts of Germany, uh, the Netherlands and Belgium, horrendous damage done by huge flooding and into three figures of confirmed deaths now and still people missing. And I fear that total will continue to rise. Uh, Putting aside the awful human cost there, damage at Spa that I've seen, uh, the major truck access road was destroyed. Uh, the main paddock entrance tunnel blocked by uh, mud, but that's res- relatively easily cleared. The major damage that I've seen that could impact the racing is the surface of the lower paddock, which would not be no, uh, needed for this coming weekend for British GT and others, but certainly will be needed for uh, these past 24 hours that uh, pretty heavily damaged and pretty clearly with some further damage beneath what we can see um, I've heard nothing to suggest that we are not going to see the Spa 24 hours take place we have seen the, the pull out of Frigdelli Racing um, uh, they've decided to stay away because of the uh, impact it's having in their own region and the messaging I think as well um, 
our thoughts with everybody in that region. It's going to take a long time for that to recover. I, I will tell you, I shed a tear or two uh, with uh, a Belgian friend at uh, Monza when we saw some of the places we've stayed before uh, around the Nürburgring and Spa mm. uh, bad, badly affected by this. So the answer at the moment appears to be they have every intention of going ahead. How they're going to get the resources to, to put the fixes in that are going to be required to stabilize that lower paddock whilst there's clearly dire need for the same resources elsewhere, I have absolutely no idea. But no no indication that the race won't go ahead. I can tell you, maybe not race teams directly um, taking part in this past 24 hours, but as you would expect in the area around the Nürburgring and the area around Spa, there's a pretty hefty presence for the motorsport industry and a number of local teams have been very badly affected indeed uh, race cars have been lost in those floods as well as lives um it's the lives i'm worried about for the moment the race cars they can wait graham why don't you take us home let's do that um it's been a quick fire uh weekend sports cars this week with martin Pruitt across in north america myself here over in Europe in the UK uh, we're going to say thank you once again to our loyal sponsors from Cooper Tires from uh, the Justice Brothers and from TorontoMotorsport.com it's been part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast for Weekend Sports Cars we will see you next week <laughs>